Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another session on our continuing conversation about the new energy economy, the new energy supply chain, and how things are actually changing. Uh, today, we're going to take a look at manufacturing, uh, the traditional manufacturing world, and the changing of the untraditional uh, manufacturing world and how it evolves, and how that's going to impact uh, energy, uh, what we do, what we make, where we ship it, where we use it, and the uh, lead for global industry for uh, energy and uh, utility. Utilities, and we have my counterpart for manufacturing, Helena Grossberger. Hello, Helena. Hello, Peter. Thanks for the invite and a pleasure to be with you here in this podcast. Yeah. Do you want to give us a little background on yourself and how you got to here? Absolutely. Yeah, I joined CGI half a year ago. Um, however, I have a broad, I would say, manufacturing, aerospace and defense background during the last 15 to 17 years always in the consultancy area and I my core processes or core know-how I would say lie in the PLM engineering, manufacturing supply chain and the maintenance repair and overhaul. Oh, that's perfect for what we're going to be talking about today then. So thanks very much for that. <laughs> Actually, I knew that already, but that's good to know again for our audience. Um, so we've got a change here. So how do you see green technology affecting your industry? How is your industry adapting to new this whole demand of green energy? Yeah, thanks for asking. And indeed, I think we are really at a turning point of transformation and manufacturing. It seems to be like, you know, the next chapter since uh, 10, 11 years, we are constantly talking about Industry 4.0, meaning that we are digitizing all the processes, making operations more excellent, more business agile. And I think due to the climate crisis the last years, um, there has um, been a new component added to the game, and that is called the sustainability component, of course. And the interesting uh, fact is also that the European Commission last year launched a white paper exactly on that new term, Industry 5.0, that takes into account all the concepts with, that we knew before from 4.0 and complements it on the one hand side with the sustainability and on the other hand side with the human awareness factor. That's very interesting, and I think the uh, this is sort of combination of evolution and revolution as people start to look at new technologies. Uh, how, what's your thought on digital twins and how that's going to uh, play a role here? Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, there are two brothers and sisters called, right? You know, you have on the one hand side, you have the smart factory aspect, uh, and that is going to be combined with the sustainability aspect. And um, digital twins um, are at least to my point of view, really enabler for energy saving targets. Yeah. So in creating a finer granularity on the machine level um, can really support achieving energy saving targets. And um, the digital twin along the value chain um, is really a good example on how manufacturers can get a clear picture of actual performance through the digital twin and they can improve their situational awareness and operational flexibility. So the equipment energy consumption is really a large part of the total manufacturing energy consumption and therefore can really um, benefit uh, from the smart use of, of digital technologies. So how do you see then if they're, they're doing this and they're looking to this point, is there a, a new increase in automation and how that's going to impact them or uh, do you see this also being more of a human factor as well? 
The human factor was and remains really a crucial part of the story, and um, it has really also changed um, because when you're we, we are tackling all that general challenge of a lack of talent, yeah, in the future, and I think the companies that are um, able to answer um, to the younger generation that is entering the workforce and giving them purpose in caring for our environment, uh, they will be more likely to attract also talent in the future. And I think technology uh, always goes in hand in hand um, with that sustainability aspect and giving thus purpose because young people coming from the IT, you know, bachelors, IT masters and so forth, they're selecting the companies that are not only giving them the latest technology stack, but also the purpose. So I think it's both. Yeah, I think that's a key factor. I know that uh, uh, in something else that we published was about neurodiversity and, uh, and truly appreciating that uh, as a change. And I think that as we all compete for talent, I think people need to know what we're standing for and what we're doing. I think that's a, uh, it comes up in interviews now. So people want to know not just vacation time and pay. They want to know what are you going to do for the world? How is this going to change things? And I think our clients have to apply that as well. Um, so when you look into this, I mean, this whole energy life cycle has become very complex. Uh, there's also an aspect that uh, governments and policies have all set the same uh, goal date. Everybody's decided to have everything completed at the same time. Uh, so there's a lot of physical things besides process things that need to be done. How do you think the um, manufacturing industry is going to have to respond to this uh, and, and also do it in a green fashion? Mm-hmm. I think an, a good example for that is, is, is the whole discussion around the supply chains, the supply chains of the future. Um, we are still recovering from the effects of the pandemic. And uh, therefore, I think uh, we are living in such a volatile and VUCA world, as a lot of people say. Um, and it's really necessary to to think in scenarios and multi criteria. Yeah. So current energy planning has has become really complex, as you said, Peter, with multiple benchmarks, including technical, social, economic, and environmental aspects. And I think technology may help here as well, um, especially data analytics that is considering such multi-criteria decision-making can support in real time with the energy planning and also with the energy optimization of the energy consumption. And this is really valid for all the stages, right? When you're taking, for example, an automotive uh, manufacturer that is sourcing steel um, uh, within his production process, it's always the question, okay, how do I source the steel? How is the steel being produced? Is it produced based on hydrogen? Is the hydrogen really a green hydrogen? Then it's the question, how is the steel being transported to the tier one suppliers? How are the parts manufactured? What kind of waste uh, is being produced during the production process. How big was the energy consumption? And then, of course, downstream, um, when you go to the final assembly of a car or of an aircraft, um, the same questions apply, right? So as you can see, really complex process. And again, a data analytics and advanced analytics may really help us in solving these questions. Yeah, and you know, in our other conversation, uh, getting ready for this call, we talked about the circular economy. Um, so, uh, looking at a supply chain where you use and consume things where you are, reuse things, uh, don't discard things, don't ship things or halfway around the planet. And mm-hmm. so, do you see there's new technologies moving forward uh, to be able to have production done a lot closer to home and maybe more just in time? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we can name here the, the example of additive manufacturing or more broadly known as the 3D printing that has already been a game changer, um, for example, in product design, um, implying less costs in producing complex shapes and a less need uh, for assembly. So therefore less time and material costs and so forth. So um, this this um, concept of, of additive manufacturing really shortens the product development cycles and reduces manufacturing cost and lead time, um, especially in times when supply chains are being impacted heavily. Um, it's worth considering um, additive manufacturing even stronger, um, keeping in mind also, uh, for example, prognosed reduction of 5 to even 27% of the global energy demand that is achievable with the adoption of additive manufacturing. So um, as a total, and while, while you are, we're also speaking about the circular economy, yes, this might be for sure um, a concept. And especially for the circular economy, again, it's the design, it's the producing, it's the shipping, and it's also the aspect with the user at the end of the, the day, how is the user behavior and how might we as industry find good ecosystems and ways of collaboration to create um, a circular economy where you can bring back the parts in a way that you can refurbish, remanufacture or reuse, thus respecting really the limits of our planet. Yeah. We've talked about globalization. So globalization was the big thing, ship everything around the world. Now to be greener, it's uh, use and consume much closer to home and reuse. So mm -hmm. I think that... Um, the concept of this is to really do this at home, to truly do this, to truly recycle. That is going to put different demands on the energy suppliers. So if it's all done by, let's say, clean electricity, there's going to be a more local clean electricity, but there's going to be more jobs, more careers, more opportunities. Uh, do you have a good example of somebody or a group of companies that are teaming up to do innovation? I think that there's a lot of people looking at uh, uh, teaming up with people that they might not have done in the past to come up with innovations. Uh, do you have a good uh, case uh, account of that? Yeah, actually, thanks that you are asking. Actually, I think the whole concept about um, data ecosystems and also data ecosystems in use for sustainability or energy topics um, is really a trendy one at the moment. So to name both, uh, for example, we work together with uh, Michelin and Michelin has um, placed into reality the better driving community where they have partnered with third party participants that have never partnered before. So Michelin as per se is a, is a tire manufacturer, right? And with the data that they are collecting on the streets and that they are providing to, for example, road maintainers in France or insurance companies or also energy companies, there can be achieved various targets. So first of all, the roads get safer, there are less accidents on the streets, uh, the roads are better maintained. Uh, and also with the help of geosatellite data, um, you can bring into that whole story a lot of more aspects. Another example would be um, the Katina X uh, initiative that has been founded in 2021 by originally German car 
uh, producers and that is really expanding throughout Europe. And the Katina X initiative is really um, a data exchange platform where all the participants have uh, sovereignty over their data. And with the help of defined standards, they're exchanging the data for dedicated working groups. So to name only one of that, which is also the circular economy, um, material passports uh, are being created for parts of electrical vehicles, allowing then in a second step uh, in a community with third party participants to share that material passports and thus enabling the parts being rebrought to the manufacturing and to, to the recycling cycle. Yeah, that's very fascinating. And as uh, driving changes and we move to um, really an IoT driven platform on the highways and ultimately if uh, it all works out uh, autonomous driving, at least at some level, uh, there was a few costs of uh, questions about how do electric vehicles pay for the use of roads. A lot of uh, petrol taxes, uh, road taxes are built into the use of gasoline. And at the moment, a lot of places are not capturing the road maintenance. So one of the dialogues we've been having with another group is sort of a pay for per use. So how is a municipality, a government, a state, a, a province going to pay for all of this IoT infrastructure and uh, maybe a pay per use as people use it, drive down and have a safer experience. And the IoT devices of a tire telling them where the potholes are and everything else is a, an interesting concept. Concept. Um, anything to add to that? Have you considered that as a thought? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the concept of uh, using data as a service or using data as a product. And um, I think every company that deals with the thought of becoming truly data driven, and in my case, it would be the manufacturing companies, uh, they need to treat the data as a product. Otherwise, this will not work. And um, to really implementing such, I would say, new revenue streams, of course, you have to have your IT or enterprise architecture, first of all, into place to prepare for such a future. And then you can start off and set up the new revenue models and your new revenue streams. Um the airline industry is an interesting one too. Uh, uh, you know, Airbus is looking at different things, different technologies. I, I know the other folks are doing the same things. Uh, how do you see the shift in transportation fueling coming into play or transportation energy? Yeah, it's, it's, it will be for sure a huge shift when you look, for example, into Airbus and, and the, this is the, the European aviation industry I know best. Um, Airbus is looking since a couple of years right now for alternative propulsion technologies. And uh, there's still, you know, um, the best guess for whether to use um, in, in, in short range planes, more the electrical um, aspects of, of, of the story, whereas for sure for, for long term flights, there will be the hydrogen concept that has the highest um, chances to win, I would say. Uh, for sure, there's there's really a revolution going on, not immediately, but because, you know, you have long development cycles, especially in, in aerospace. Um, however, I would say um, until the first hydrogen-based aircrafts will fly, we will be at, yeah, 2035, best guess. This is at least what Airbus has announced. And we will see huge changes both in product design and systems design. Um, of course, you have to think about the, the change of the infrastructure then at the airports. Um, how can we supply the, the infrastructure for this hydrogen-based aircrafts and so forth? For me, it's really interesting to see how the industry will be evolving and also how fast. Because as you know, Pete, 
a lot of companies have have given themselves, you know, um, the the goal to be energy neutral by 2030. And for me, it's always the question: How fast are we, and how fast are we able as uh, as industry to to turn the switch uh, for a better and greener future? Yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting. And I mean, um, I remember a great book uh, written years ago called Blindsided. And uh, the concept behind that is you, your competition isn't always necessarily the people that you suspect today. It could be someone else coming into this. And as hydrogen could be made locally um, and then sold to an airline at the airport, it could be made, consumed, produced there perhaps in different ways. That's going to be an impact. Uh, electric aircraft are already flying in BC, British Columbia, uh, as commuter planes, as seaplanes. And therefore, there has to be new electrical uh, infrastructure put into the docks for them, something that was never envisioned before. Instead of gas pumps, they have big charging stations. So it's going to make a major change. And therefore, I think the, the, the suspicion of who your competition is for our side is going to be interesting because certain manufacturers, if you look at Tesla having charging stations, they're competing with the, the petrol stations. Uh, mm -hmm. in a way, and they're also who think that they should be owning the few charging stations. But uh, then, of course, other manufacturers, uh, German ones, uh, are looking at the same idea. So this mm -hmm. is going to be an interesting shift. Um, any thoughts on that? Otherwise, we'll move to a bit of a wrap-up and, uh, and close things down. Any thoughts on that last bit? Yeah, absolutely. I, I had an interesting client meeting the other day, um, also with the big battery um, manufacturer um, producing exactly the batteries uh, for electrical vehicles. And it's really interesting to see how fast these kind of gigawatt uh, factories are now being implemented and how big the thirst also is coming from the automotive industry, for example. And I mean, as always, I think infrastructural changes need to be accompanied by governmental policies and structures in place in order to, to speed up in the process. So that would be my comment on that one. Okay, that's great. Well, thank you for that. Uh, so it's been a, a joy talking to you about this because I think that uh, as we looked at it, this, uh, the banking industry, and now we have you on from a manufacturing standpoint, the financing of all this is going to be a key function of it, the actual physical construction of things, deployment of things, the IT to run things are uh, all going to be key components. So I'll give you the last word. What would you like to sort of leave as a final thought? <laughs> thank you. Yeah, one, one final thought is still uh, becoming really conscious about what we do in the industry. And uh, it's funny that you're mentioning also Enli, because I was also talking to Jean-Baptiste when I met him in Lyon. And uh, we were chatting about, you know, uh, this fast fashion industry and how we as consumers can do our teeny tiny part to make the industry change. Because I think the more pull you have as a consumer, the more the industry will react. And this is the part that all of us can do in a personal way. That's perfect. Well, thank you very much. Uh, appreciate you joining today. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you at the next one. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.